Good morning. And thank you for allowing me uh, to deliver God's word to you today. For those of you wondering how I got here, um, Phil is my pastor mentor through Uptick Catalyst. Um, it's actually very interesting. I promised every, well, we made a promise to everyone in the group that we would support each other when they were preaching. And so it's like, tell me if you're preaching and we'll come. And today, we're all preaching. <laughs> So we can't travel to hear each other, um, but I want to tell Nikki, Alan, and John that even though we're not physically in the same place able to support each other, I know that the Spirit of God is with us all as we deliver God's Word. Um, as my bio says, I am originally from Texas. I have lived in the DMV area for five years now, and when I first moved here, I lived in Alexandria, but not in Old Town, and now I live in Arlington and um, have the wonderful opportunity of um, ministering and supporting our pastor at the church at Clarendon. Um, but please join me in a word of prayer before I begin. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come once again together as the body of Christ, we thank you that you have safely brought us here, and we ask that you would continue to be with us. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds. Help us to receive the message that you have for us today. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Before I began working at the John Leland Center, I was an infant teacher at a and a Christian education director at an early childhood development center. I could regale you with stories of how infants have no sense of risk, the anxiety of having nine children all become mobile at once, the trials and tribulations of biting, <laughs> the drama of teaching patients, especially when it came to waiting for your name to be called so you could have lunch or snack and how young children will tell all of your business. I'm here to tell you as a teacher that if you have children between the ages of three and probably about seven, your teachers know more about what is going on in your household than they want to. <laughs> but instead, I'm going to start with a short story that was a favorite during circle time. Some of you may remember it. In the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. One Sunday morning, the warm sun came up and pop. Out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar. He started to look for some food. On Monday, he ate through one apple, but he was still hungry. On Tuesday, he ate through two pears, but he was still hungry. On Wednesday, he ate through three plums, but he was still hungry. On Thursday, he ate through four strawberries, but he was still hungry. On Friday, he ate through five oranges, but he was still hungry. 
On Saturday, he ate through one piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. That night, he had a stomach ache. The very hungry caterpillar then ate through one green leaf. He started to feel better. Now the caterpillar was no longer small. He was a big caterpillar. He built a small house called a cocoon around himself, and he stayed inside for two weeks. Then he nibbled a small hole in the cocoon, pushed his way out, and was a beautiful butterfly. This is the story of the very hungry caterpillar by Eric Carle. Every class in my school would read this book right before we were given caterpillars to keep in our classrooms, so our students could witness the life cycle of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. Every morning, the children would run to the house to watch the caterpillar, and after the caterpillar formed its cocoon, the children would often ask, "Miss Abby, what's it doing in there? When is it going to come out?" They were eager to see the beautiful butterfly. In the same way, Elohim, our Creator and Heavenly Father, eagerly awaits for us to take up and assume our new identities after we have come to Him. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen, puts it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who is in Christ, has become a new person, a new creation, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old life is gone; a new life has begun. See, just like the caterpillar, we go through life searching to fulfill a deep hunger we have inside—a hunger that can only be satisfied by the Almighty God. And when we meet God and allow Him to enter into our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls, we are given a new identity that comes with a new name, a new nature, and a new purpose. Just like the caterpillar that has transformed into a butterfly. First, we receive a new name. The average person probably identifies the caterpillar as its own insect, and to a certain extent, that's true. But actually, the caterpillar is the larva of a butterfly. It's the second stage of a butterfly's life cycle, and yet. After a caterpillar emerges from its cocoon, it receives a new name. It's not called a flying caterpillar, and and a caterpillar isn't called a wingless butterfly. These two different stages of the very same life cycle have different names that recognize the significant change that has taken place in the life of the creature. We also see this in Scripture when we look at how God changes the name of Abram and Sarai. The the names that they were given at birth meant "high father" 
in my lady or my princess. But Abraham and Sarah, the names given to them by God, mean father of a great multitude and princess of the multitude. God changes their names in anticipation of the work he's going to do in their lives. This childless couple would become the father and mother of Israel, God's chosen nation. They need only to believe and obey and trust in God, and God would do all the rest. And just like the caterpillar and the butterfly and Abraham and Sarah, we also go through a name change when we encounter God. When we first enter this world, we could be considered part of God's creation. Although we are different and special from everything else that God has created because we are created in the image of God, there are still some restrictions. But when we come to know God as our personal Lord and Savior, we receive a name change. No longer are we just another one of God's many beautiful creations. No, now we are children of God, the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And with this change in name, there also comes a change in our nature. Since we have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Christ, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. When we come to God, we receive a new nature. Webster's defines nature as the inherent character of a person or animal, the way in which a person or animal behaves. The moment we are born into this world, people begin to dictate and assign our natures to us. She's shy. He has a bad attitude. They're nice. You're lazy. We hear it so often that we begin to believe those characteristics are part of who we are, that those characteristics are our nature. So we tell ourselves and others that that's just the way I am, or that's how God made me, or it's just because I'm a Virgo or a Sagittarius or whatever you ascribe to. But the reality is that we've been looking at ourselves in a mirror that has been cracked and distorted by sin. And who we think we are or who others have told us we are is completely different from who God originally created us to be. So when we come to Jesus Christ, when we affirm our faith in God, we receive a new nature. But that nature isn't really new to God. It's just 
new to us. The nature that we are putting on is our true nature. The nature that God originally had in place when he first created us. God began stripping away all of the characteristics, all of the behaviors and thoughts and attitudes that we were never meant to have. As we renew our thoughts and our attitudes, this broken and distorted mirror that we have looked at ourselves through and looked at others through begins to change. God removes the areas that are warped, the areas that are cracked. He straightens the mirror and allows us to see who we were originally created to be in God's divine perfection. But unlike the caterpillar, our transformation does not take place in a cocoon. Unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of isolating ourselves while God does all this work of cleaning us up and giving us a new nature. We are being transformed each day in plain sight of everyone around us. And when we first begin our journey with God, it can be disheartening and discouraging to see lifelong friends distance our, themselves from us because we're acting brand new. Or to have your family question you about why you're going to church so much when you know you're never going to change. But let me remind you that the same God who transformed Paul from being a persecutor of Christians a man who would lead Christians in chains into Jerusalem where they would be executed, is the same God who allowed Paul to become a missionary, who changed Paul into being from, from being a persecutor to a man who would be willing to suffer for the gospel of Christ to endure imprisonments, beatings, and multiple shipwrecks, all out of love for the Father. That same God is the same God who's transforming you. So regardless of what others have told you, regardless of how others have described you, recognize that they're looking at you through distorted lenses, they don't have the clear and perfect picture of who you are. Only Elohim has that. He will guide you and provide you with the new nature, your true nature. Only trust and believe. But this new identity God has given us doesn't just come with a new name and a new nature we also receive a new purpose. The caterpillar has one job, one purpose, which you can easily pick up in the story of the very hungry caterpillar. The caterpillar's entire existence revolves around eating. In fact, 
Some caterpillars will eat up to 27,000 times their body weight during their lifetime, and they will increase their body mass by about 1,000 times, which is why the tiny caterpillar in the story ends up becoming a big and fat caterpillar. All of this eating only benefits the caterpillar. Farmers and gardeners consider caterpillars to be a pest because all of their eating destroys their crops and their gardens. None of them want a caterpillar in their gardens or their crops. All the eating that the caterpillar does just brings about destruction for others. But after entering its cocoon or chrysalis. Remaining in there for several weeks and eating its way out, it returns as a butterfly. And every gardener welcomes butterflies into their gardens because of their beauty and useful nature. Butterflies feed on flower nectar, and their feeding contributes to the pollination of every flower they feed on. Benefiting not just the butterfly, but also the flowers and humanity. While caterpillars are seen as destructive, butterflies are classified as pollinators. They have the special and distinct job of aiding flowers and fruits and other flowering plants in their reproductive process. They spread flowers. Taking them from place to place, because unlike a caterpillar, butterflies also have a migration pattern. If you ever watch monarch butterflies, they migrate based on the weather, and their migrating allows them to bring pollen from one flower in one field to another flower in another field that might be hundreds of miles away from one another. Two of the most common questions we often ask ourselves are, "What is my purpose, and why am I here?" We go throughout our lives trying to find the answers to these questions. Some people never find the answers because they give up the search, and so they just continue in. The monotony of life. They ascribe to what others have told them they are meant to do. Oh, you're good at talking. You should be a lawyer. You're always breaking things and putting things back together. You should be like a mechanic or an engineer. So they enter into those fields, but they find that they're never fulfilled. But they stay because that's all they know. It's because. That's what everyone told them they should do, and who they should be. And others settle on creating and designing their own purpose, based on the goals that they want to achieve in life. But as children of God, we don't have to stumble around searching for the answers to these questions. We can go directly to Elohim, 
our Creator, for the answers we seek. See, God does not do anything by chance or by accident. We are all created for a divine purpose that will strengthen others' belief and understanding of who God is. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor can mind comprehend all that God has planned for those who love him. All that God has planned for you. It's amazing how God works because your children's sermon was about Joseph. And my next illustration is also about Joseph. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible because his strength to overcome and his ability to forgive. But when we first meet Joseph, let's all be honest. Joseph might not be the most likable person in his family. Joseph is spoiled. <laughs> Joseph is the apple of his father's eye and is the favorite, and everyone knows it because Jacob does not hide his favoritism. So his brothers see Joseph as a nuisance. They run away from him or hide from him or travel to other places so that they don't have to deal with him. And eventually, they sell him into slavery. Joseph has to walk many miles, probably took about two to three months to walk from where they were located to Egypt, where he's in Potiphar's house. We all know he becomes falsely accused and he's imprisoned. Life does not seem to be going well for Joseph. But this spoiled boy who was turned into a slave and later a prisoner understands that those things that have happened to him are not part of his nature and don't necessarily feed directly into his purpose. See, if you just take those isolated pictures of where we see Joseph as the spoiled son, as a slave, or as someone in prison, you miss God's purpose. You might think that Joseph, if you encounter him as a youth, that He's not going to be anything but spoiled. He's probably not going to have the best business sense. But he'll inherit everything from his father, so he'll be okay. If you were an Egyptian and you met Joseph in Egypt, you would ignore him because he's just a slave. But not only is he a slave, he's someone of Hebrew descent. Someone that you don't like because they're dirty and they're nasty because... They're herdsmen. They deal with sheep and goats. And if you were a fellow prisoner, would you really believe that he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife? Same old story. You'd probably ignore him or think that he 
is just trying to get over on everyone, that he hasn't accepted the responsibility for the wrong that he has done. But none of those are who Joseph is, and none of those speak to Joseph's purpose. See, when you meet Joseph again, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, the very one that they sold into slavery that they thought was dead, we find that Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt. The spoiled brat, the slave, the prisoner, now rules over all of Egypt. But not only does he rule over all of Egypt, he saves not one, but two nations. Because of his gift of interpreting dreams, he's able to discern a famine is coming. And we need to store up grain so that during that famine, our people can survive. And so he saves everyone that's part of the nation of Egypt. But he also ends up saving his family. When they are in the early stages of becoming the nation of Israel, what is your purpose? We have to understand that the things that we encounter in life all feed in to our larger purpose. They will mold and shape us into who God desires for us to be so that we can accomplish the work that he has given us. But we can only do those things if we are daily renewing our minds and our attitudes in seeking to understand this new identity that has been given to us by the Most High God. Do you know your true identity? Have you accepted your new name? Are you renewing yourself daily so you can put on the new nature given to you by God? Are you walking in your new purpose? Or are you trying to pave your own way? These are questions that we should continually ask ourselves to make sure that we're staying on the right path of this new identity that God has given us and not falling into the old identity that we've always lived in. Please join me in a word of prayer. Elohim, we thank you, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. We recognize that when we came to you, you gave us a new identity. And while it might take some adjusting to, we affirm the new name that you have given us. we will seek to put on the new nature that you have given us. And we will strive to complete this new purpose 
that you desire for us to complete so that we are a benefit to those around us. Father, strengthen us. May the word that has gone forth be rooted in our hearts and our minds and bring us to a clearer picture of who you created us to be. In Jesus' name I pray.